Welcome to the show. You're about to listen in on a great conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share the show. Welcome back to the Play Big Podcast, where we're talking with people that are playing big in life, in business, and in finance. I have the pleasure of being here with Terry Bean, a coach, a consultant, and a connector, and also someone that's been an advisor, a part of TEDx Detroit for many years. And so, Terry, it's great to have you here. It's a good time to be here, Jason. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah. Really appreciate it. So who is Terry Bean and how did you get started to being what's known as one of the greatest connectors in business? I started doing sales, right? In the early years, I was selling computer training. Then I moved into selling computer networks. And at one point, somebody called me and said, hey, we should get into doing some networking together. I sell computer networks. You sell computer training. We should network and build our networks. And I was like, time out, bro. <laughs> you just used the word network like three different times in one sentence, four different connotations. What are we talking about? So he explained networking groups to me. I was 25 at the mm. time, started running around in different networking groups, figuring it out. And as I was learning about it, I would go into client meetings and I'd come out with more opportunities <laughs> for other people than I did for myself. And I was like, wow, there's something really powerful about this giving, this sharing, this helping other people grow. And so fast forward 10 years, I moved back to Detroit from Columbus, Ohio, didn't have the right networking group and being entrepreneurial myself said, if you can't find it, you build it. Mm. So built something that became one of the largest networking groups in the Detroit area in Michigan. Uh, in one of the first hybrid real-world online networking groups in the world. Wow. And so this was years ago. Ran that for 15 years. That sparked TEDx Detroit. It also launched a speaking career. And as a speaker, if you don't have a book or a coaching course, which 15 years ago courses weren't really a thing, you'd better come up with something to sell the people so they can stay engaged. Right. So I became a coach. And coaching led to some consulting because if you're good at a specific thing, you can consult. So that's how I've spent the last decade and a half running around teaching people how to network, how to lead, how to communicate effectively, how to give presentations. And TEDx Detroit was one of the outcomes of that networking group because we had a big audience. And Ted said, hey, we're going to allow X events to open up. And a buddy said, you're the guy, Mr. Connector. Right. I need some help. Let's run this. That's awesome. When you were just at the very beginning, way in the way back, you made a comment. You said, when I would go in to, to deal with a customer, I would come out with more prospects. Take me into the room or take me into that environment. Because most salespeople or people are doing something just happy. I, I got the sale. I'm glad they didn't say no. I'm glad they didn't back out. What? Take me into that room. What is What was happening for you? that allowed somebody else to give you more names or what was it that was particular about what you were doing in that room? Oh, I want to make sure you heard it right. For starters, I would go in and get more leads for other people for like friends, oh, for and other networks. people, not, just, not yeah. just your business. I wasn't closing as much business okay, as I, I was closing for everybody Got else. It. But to that, to answer your question that you asked, a couple of things. One, I've got pretty good listening skills. Number two, I've got really good questioning skills. And number three, I have the ability to keep a lot of disparate information in my mind. So as an avid networker, you learn a lot. You learn about the business acumen and how to grow it. So I could see issues or challenges and I would dive in deep because I figure as a young guy, I didn't know any better. Right. I didn't know that was out of bounds to ask about things that had nothing to do with my business. Right. I was curious, yeah. man. So I would keep asking. And the same thing with how do you get more referrals is you tee up. One of the keys to getting referrals is simply ask for them. Right. Let people know. And if they like you and they like working with you, it's important for them that you remain successful. Otherwise, you're not going to be doing it anymore. Right. So they want to help you if you build that kind of relationship where they know you care about their success Wait, first. When did you first learn that you had that skill? Early, man. 26, 27, year three, two in business. Just in business. And where did the care come from? Because sometimes you can be focused on yourself. People are just trying to take care of themselves. But this is more like a, an abundant mindset where you 
you understand the value of adding value to other people. And I think some sometimes people miss that or it's not built into them. When did, where did that come from and how did you develop that or realize, man, this is actually a true benefit to me, to the old adage, the more people you help, the better off you're going to be. Where did you learn that or how did that become ingrained in you? I got really lucky. Somebody, when I was 21 years old, handed me a book called Illusions by Richard Bach. Mm. And it's a kind of a metaphysical, spiritual journey. The subtitle is Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah. And as soon as I finished reading that book, that same lady handed me Way of the Peaceful Warrior. <laughs> and so I was 21 years old. I'm absorbing these books. I'm in a comparative religion class in my junior year in college. And I'm looking at life, not just from the Christian upbringing I had, but now I'm getting perspective from people all over the world. And I'm like, whoa, there's something so much deeper going mm -hmm. on. There's an interconnectedness here that I intuitively understood and realized that we are better together. And if you can't find the person that's going to make you be better, then you have to be the person that's going to help others be better. Not to sound like a martyr, but I took that role on and relished it. Hmm. What did you learn about yourself as you started doing that? So one is become, becoming aware of something, mm -hmm. which a lot of people become aware of things, but they never do anything with what they become aware of. Or some people will read a book, but they don't actually execute on what it is that they're reading. Guilty of that for yeah, sure. Yeah, 100%. We all are. What were you learning about yourself that you said, you know what, this is, there's something deeper going on and I'm actually going to take action on it. And it may or may not work right away, but over time, obviously it's worked very successfully for you. What were you learning about yourself in that process after the awareness came and you started putting it into practice? It's so I'll give you a great example. I remember a gentleman named Steve Crane. I was 27 years old. Steve had been in the furniture business for 12 years. I gave him a referral to some office that was building out and needed furniture. Steve came up to me about six months, sometime within six months later after the referral was given and said, I just want to thank you, man. You gave me a referral that turned into $4 million wow. worth of business. It's the biggest deal I've ever had in my tw 10 to 12 years of work in. It's amazing. Hmm. And I, for whatever reason, that thank you meant as much to me as any deal I'd put together. Just that kindness, that generosity of him saying thanks. That's all he did. I, he didn't even buy me lunch, man. Right. <laughs> but in, in hindsight, I should be pissed at him. But that was empowering. Right, The ability to put somebody on a different trajectory, and I know all about that, was amazing. And it filled my soul in a way mm -hmm. that other things hadn't. So I, I often laugh like I'm a little helper monkey. Right. I just want to be of service and help people go from where they are to where they want to get to in as most efficient way possible. That's amazing. And so that's probably part of like coaching or consulting or connecting. Explain to me in your words, what's the difference between those three to you and, and how you look at it? Because they're words that are used sometimes effectively, sometimes not effectively, but they're different things, but they all are very meaningful when executed properly. So what's the difference between being a, a coach and being a consultant and being a connector? For sure. Let me start with the coach. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll do it in order. So a good coach if they're doing their job well, is going to pull information out of you. They're going to use their questions to do the heavy lifting to figure out where you want to go. And if they're doing it really well, they're not going to ever tell you what to do, right. but they're going to question you in a way that leads you to the epiphany mm. that you need to get to. Right. right? Mm -hmm. On the flip side, a good consultant's going to be somebody that knows where you want, want to go, understands how to get there, is going to roll up their sleeves and get to work with you mm -hmm. and do the work to get you there. They're not, they're going to ask questions, certainly, right. but they're going to, they're there to tell you or show you how to do the thing as opposed to guide you to it. Mm. And a good connector is somebody that's going to take a look and listen and see what's going on and understand who you need to meet, whether it's information or people, and put you on a path to get you there. 
And of the three, do you have one that you enjoy doing the most? Or are you like, I like doing all three simultaneously. A chef in the kitchen that's like, I'm going to take some spice over here. And today I'm going to add some seasoning and some butter or some oil. Like how, how is it for you when you're working with people? Which one do you? I can tell you I like two of them better than the third. Oh. I spend most of my time doing the coaching and the connecting. I spend less time doing the consulting. Got it. Because they really expect you to do shit when you're a consultant. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's easier to find out what they need to do and cheer them on. Like, you can do it. I believe it. I believe in you. You're greater than you think that you are. That's it. What, what have you learned about, you deal predominantly with business owners, entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. What have you learned about business owners or entrepreneurship over the years? And has it always been the same? Or what, what are the takeaways that you get as you're coaching them and you're drawing out of them? What is it that makes uh, a good entrepreneur great or good? Uh, and what is it that stops someone from achieving what they set out to, to achieve in the first place? I love that. So great entrepreneurs all have this thing that I call seventh gear. If you think back to the old days when cars had manual yeah, transmissions, had they had yeah. a five-speed. <laughs> yes. And if you had a cool one, it had a six-speed. <laughs> I must not have the cool one. I have five. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I want to deal with people that have that seventh gear, right, where all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I don't even know how you got that done. I was just talking to you. You were about to fall out. You were exhausted. But they've got this stick to that <laughs> drives them to keep moving forward. So that's really an important element of good entrepreneurs. They're also great at having a vision, having a focus to achieve that vision, and they make decisions quickly because they know, is this going to help me get to where mm -hmm. I want to go or not? People that are indecisive, that aren't really sure, either aren't fully committed or they're not clear enough on where they're going. And when you have that vision and that singular focus, that's part of my problem, man. I'm like a squirrel guy, right? <laughs> I'm like all over the Shiny place. Objects. Yeah, <laughs> man. Big time SOS. Is when you're when you're laser focused on a thing, it becomes really clear. You know what you're doing with your marketing and your messaging. You know what you're doing with your networking time, your God or your universe, you're paying attention to you and making sure you're aligned to where right. you're going and the right things show up at the right time. So that clarity and that definiteness of purpose, as Napoleon Hill would say, right. is powerful. And what do you think is, you see a lot of people, different experiences, different walks of life, probably a lot of different industries, but there are, sometimes there's commonalities in human behavior. When someone is stuck or they may or may not know that they have a seventh gear and they're way down in gear number two or three and they think, man, that's everything I've got. I'm at my full capacity. What do you see in people that are heading towards quitting or heading towards giving up on their dream or don't believe that they deserve their destiny or their self-worth is low? What are the common things that you see when someone's pretty close to quitting that they're dealing with and how do you help them get out of their un, inside of their stuckiness. Uh, their stuckiness, I love that. <laughs> a part of the answer that I would have thrown in for the last question was about the mindset, right? And that right. it begins and ends there. And so a lot of times when people get to that point, and I think we've all been there at one point or another, it's almost like you have to remind them who they are, what they're meant for, and why they're doing the ding-dang thing. And if they don't know that, Right. If they're not living that, breathing that uh, all day, every day, you can really fade out quickly. Right. So it's that reminder. So I always try and start with that clarity session about where are you? Where do you want to go? What's stopping you? And, and really figure those things out early on. So six months, three years down the road, you can say, hey, remember when we talked about this is why you were doing it? This is what impact you were looking to make. Has that changed? No? Okay. Have you made the impact? No? Okay. So are we going to keep going? And usually they're like, oh, my God, yeah. That right. reminder, right? We all have this level of fire in the belly. Mm. And sometimes it's a rip-roaring flame, like a giant bonfire. And sometimes it gets squalled all the way down to a little tiny spark. Right. So we got to figure out how to ignite that again.
What do you think most people are afraid of? It's interesting. I didn't realize this until halfway through my career that fear of success is every bit hmm. as big of a fear as fear of failure. Most people are feared, afraid of being found out. Right. Right. Yeah. In one way or the other. Right? right. Correct. So that's a big challenge that getting to the point of one of my all time favorite lines is your opinion of me is none of my business yes. and getting people to that mindset and that mentality ain't doing it for them. And even if you are, they paying your bills because they didn't look like they were paying your bills. And so if someone got to, got to success, what is it about success that you think that they're most afraid of? Like if I got there, it's all the responsibility or it's something else. Like what, what is it that you see the fear of success being? I think people don't know who they are, mm. right? And so money changes things. And I think people are afraid of who they may be if that success mm. is in them. There was an old comedian that used to talk about cocaine intensifies your personality. Mm -hmm. And the question was, what if you're an asshole? <laughs> so yeah. that's the same kind exactly. of thing. Right. So I don't know how I would be like that. And there's a, it's weird because you would think intuitively that success would build a different comfort zone in a comfort mm -hmm. zone that you'd want to be in. Right. But the path and the journey to get there is definitely outside of the comfort zone. And then not being sure of how comfortable you'll be in that new zone comes up, I think. So how do you help walk people through being okay with uh, having fear, having doubt, having anxiety, re reminding them of why they're doing it? But along the way, how do you help them uh, combat the excuses uh, or the, the reasons to quit? So it's always a matter of digging deeper, right? It's like, all right, you're here. Right. You know what here is. We don't know what here is, but the trajectory would indicate that this here is better than this here, mm -hmm. right? And it's all about painting a picture that they want to see themselves in. Got it. And with their hand on the brush. Yes. Because for me to paint the picture, it doesn't help. They've got to paint the mm. picture they want to be in. And it's a matter of just constantly checking in. And it, at times, I'm making it sound like there's a lot of hand-holding. And frankly, there is. Mm -hmm. But it's part of the journey that they want to go on, and you have to decide whether or not you want to stick with them. Right. And I've fired plenty of coaching clients because you may have experienced this when people ask for your advice. And you generously give it to them, generously or begrudgingly, <laughs> it doesn't right. matter, when you give it to them. And then you check in on them a week or a month or three months later, and they're still not doing it. And now they're asking you for different advice. Right. Like, why am I at some point? We got to stop. Yeah, that's right. And so when you deal, when you're dealing with a lot of people, especially with negative, it could be like their negative things or helping them get past problems or obstacles, help them get out of third, fourth gear into these other gears that maybe you see in them that maybe they forgot about themselves or don't necessarily see themselves in this picture that they have. What do you do? Who or what do you lean on yourself to cleanse your, yourself of taking in this avalanche of other people's crap all day long? Because as part of a coach, you're dealing in the messy situation where most people don't want to deal uh, and you're helping them navigate through the mud and you walk out of there muddy. What do you do to what do you do or who do you go to to clean yourself up, to That's keep yourself keep with enough fresh. clarity focus, clarity and focus to help someone else? I love that question, man. There's two things. One, I, I am more than happy to take your baggage from you. Right. But I am disciplined. I know that's not my baggage. Mm. That's your baggage. So I will take it from you and I will set it down. Wow. Because I don't need to carry that stuff around. I got right. my own baggage. Right. I don't need yours to weigh right. me down. So that's one thing. And I tell people all the time, we need to figure out how to compartmentalize. You can keep your garbage. You can keep your baggage. You just need to put it in a little box, put it over here, go visit that and wallow in that crap whenever you want. Mm. But don't carry that with you into every interaction because it doesn't serve you. Right. So that's one. Two, when it gets really muddy and really messy, uh, you may be familiar with Ho'oponopono. 
I've heard of it. Yes. That. So it's this ancient Hawaiian yeah. mystic teaching, and it's basically for cleansing energy. And it's four very simple phrases, and they can be said in any order mm. at any time, but it's, I love you, I'm sorry, thank you, please forgive me. So you could say, please forgive me, I love you, I'm sorry, thank you. Doesn't matter the mm. order. But if you repeat that mantra, it has a cleansing effect mm. on our energy. That's amazing. And it's pretty impactful. Where did you learn that from? So there was a guy named Dr. Joe Vitale in the movie oh, The Secret, okay, yeah. right? And he's written about 47 million books. He wrote <laughs> one called Zero Limits that was based on this Dr. Len who was in Hawaii that did this really cool thing in a prison in Hawaii. <laughs> he, he was a counselor. He came into the prison to help clean some of the hardened criminals in the Hawaiian infrastructure. And the, the prisoners, within about a year and a half, went from spitting on guards and punching people and fighting all the time and graffiti and desecrating right. the place to... Some of them were actually let out of prison in an 18-month period. The amazing thing was Dr. Len never spent physical time with any of them, hmm. right? He just did this cleansing exercise. So the book I originally read was Zero Limits, hmm. and I read that a decade and a half ago. And then he came out with a, a recording called The Abundance Paradigm. Wow. It was like a four-disc set, hmm. old enough to be on disc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But both of those really shared that lesson. And then Dr. Len just passed away in the last year and a half. Wow. So there's been a lot of resurgence of that. I got in big trouble, though, for cultural appropriation for talking about this on TikTok really? one day. Yeah, <laughs> Put get, you in the TikTok jail? Half, half of why I was all excited. I'm like, look at the views, man. Look at <laughs> right. the comments. Oh, they're all mad at me. Wow. Got it. Interesting. <laughs> I was like, dude, love it. Yeah. What were they upset about? Cultural appropriation. Oh. Oh. You're not Hawaiian. You're oh, not native. You can't talk about this. Yeah. Really? I'm sure <laughs> that's, I'm sure it wasn't a gift for everybody. It was specifically for the islands. My apologies. Yeah. I've been to Hawaii, so I'm like, basically, I look, yeah, I look native. Yeah, of course. So. Hang loose. <laughs> hang loose for sure, <laughs> yeah. dude. Go on, hang some, hang ton. <laughs> yeah. A lot of Maui. And, uh, I feel like you've done a lot of surfing. Is that true? I Looking actually, people ask, people ask me that all the time. They're like, are you a surfer? I said, no, but I actually admire surfers. I have a, a personal tagline. I say, ride the wave of life yeah. and always play big. And so the, I've always enjoyed watching s surfers. I love being on a beach. My favorite place to be in the planet. Nice. Um, but watching surfers surf, I, I always love it because they're not every surfer goes out for the same wave, which is the way it is in life and the way it is in business. So if there's, you see a bunch of surfers out there sitting on their boards waiting for the wave and a wave comes and it could be eight guys standing out there, but maybe only two decide, oh, this is my wave. And then they go and the wave does the work, right? So it's always, as long as I can get up on the board, as long as I can ride the wave, Right, the wave does the work, and it takes me in. And I paddle back out, and so I always loved watching. Not everyone takes the same wave at the same time, the same moment, because it's the wave that they're looking for. So it's the same thing with an opportunity that you're looking for, yeah. or a business you're trying to build. <clears throat> and then the other thing I love about it is there's always another wave. Right, there's, there's always another wave. another wave wave coming, and so over life, I mean, yeah, you can maybe say this is the wave I'm going to get. This is the business I'm going to go for. This is the job I'm going to go for, and I ride that wave. And maybe you take it successfully all the way to the beach, but half the time, maybe you're going to get wrecked. I mean, it's going to be too big of a wave, too small of a wave, and you smash and you crash and burn. And that's just the way life is. But you get back up and you paddle back out. And, hey, man, I get another shot. I get another shot at it. So I've, I've always loved it. People ask me, am I a surfer? I just, I love that environment, that vibe. I love being on a beach. I love live music. Yeah. yeah I love having a nice cocktail and just seeing paradise but it's that was always an image that's stuck in in my mind and so, yeah stickers have been up here to see my suitcase of traveling around the world i would always get a sticker from the country that i went to yeah and uh put it there and so then when i put the table down I'm like ah, oh, this has to mimic kind of kind what of my, what my life has been about yeah and for all of you that can't actually see what's going on on this table <laughs> you're missing out it is cool yeah you need to be here before we're done we'll make sure you put a sticker down and put your autograph on the <laughs> yeah. table as well so everyone that comes and speaks and talks in here gets their own sticker that's amazing uh, on here as well i want to go because uh, i'm seeing your sticker 
Yeah. TEDx, TEDx Detroit. Take me to how that came about. Did you understand what TED was at that moment? I mean, you're a great, <laughs> a great connector and being a great connector is one thing, but also being connected to what's now a, a monster globally connected brand. And yeah. so t- talk to me about one being a connector. How did that TED thing really come about? And then what has it been like now as a connector being connected to this global network of people that are just like you of sharing stories of all kinds of people from all, all oh, backgrounds. Right. Like I'm a big consumer of education and content from all kinds of things, but take me to how did that first come about and how has it progressed since then? Yeah. So the guy that I was partnered with in the networking group that I started in Detroit calls me one afternoon and said, Hey, good news. We're putting on a Ted event here in Detroit. And I said, fantastic. Who's Ted? Because <laughs> yeah. that's that. Yeah. These those videos I've been sending you, and I'm like, I didn't see me in any of those videos. So yeah. no, I didn't see the videos. What are we talking about? And he's like, Ted is this thing, technology, entertainment, design. It's this thing about ideas worth spreading, mm-hmm. and it's innovation and cool stuff that's going on. So we're gonna gather some of our speaker friends. We're gonna get on stage. We're gonna share these big ideas worth spreading. I said, cool. So I'm speaking? And he said, yeah, man, we're speaking. I'm like, all right, cool. What do we need to do? And he said, that's funny. When they originally talked to me about this, I asked them, who's on the team? Mm -hmm. And they said, whoever you want on the team. And he said, okay, great. Where do we host the event? And they said, wherever you can find to host the event. He said, okay, fine. Said, who are we going to have speak? Whoever you find to have speak. (laughs) So I got that call because... I knew speakers, I knew venues, I knew places that we could do it and have fun with it. I called a buddy of mine that worked at a university, said, can we borrow a cup (laughs) of auditorium? And they said, yeah, sure. So that's how it started back in 2009, which positioned us as one of the first on the planet. amazing. We were one of the first 50 events. Really? Yeah, man. Wow. And so we broke a lot of rules. And it's crazy because they only have three, and we must have broken all of those just repeatedly. First day. Yeah. In 2009, man, Detroit was dying. Yeah. If if I could take people back to the sentiment, not for the rest of the world, I'm talking about just the Mm. local community. The suburbs in the city didn't get along at all. Oakland County, which is the the county just north of where Detroit is, at the time was the third wealthiest county in the country. Really? Number three. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, big money. Yeah, what do you think it. about all the automotive suppliers? Yeah, it, it makes, it, it makes it sense. Makes, yeah. Right? And so they didn't get along. There was infighting like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I was running this group and I was like, no, we got to say nice things about Detroit, which is a phrase from the seventies. <laughs> I just totally stole it. But you know, we got to, we got to show love to this area. In fact, we can't expect the rest of the world to like Detroit if we here don't even. Right. So let's change the narrative, right. change the energy. And we can do that if we focus on it. Instead of looking for all the cracked out houses, let's look for the house where somebody actually cares and planting some flowers, yeah. right? And it's That's taking right. care of their life. Right. We can just change what we see by changing what we look for. Mm-hmm. And so we spent a lot of time doing that. And TEDx Detroit really helped that. The rules were you can't have more than 100 people. You can't donate money to charity. Year one, we had 310 people in the room. (laughs) We donated like $6,000. They slapped us on the wrist. Year two, we had 1,000 people in the room. We donated a little over 10 grand. Year three was bigger in both. And on the fourth year, they said, listen, you SOBs, <laughs> we're hearing from people all over the globe. Detroit's doing it. Yeah, so Why we're can't do it. we? So they said, if you don't follow these rules, we're going to pull your license. Wow. And so our Mayacopa was a 250-person event. And then we blew all the way up to 3,500 folks in 2019. Then COVID hit. But it's been an amazing ride. And now we're like back to rebuilding. We're like hovering around a thousand people the last few years. So how how often did you do the events? Once a year. Once a year. One time a year. year. Yep. And always in the fall. Always in the fall. And what was it what types of people were other people attracted to hearing that they're like, man, okay, like word gets out. I mean, you're a connector anyways, and the ability to spread valuable information through a network of people is one thing but what was it that you thought 
or that was what was bringing someone back, but with two or three of their friends to say, hey, man, I need to come here. What was it, what was it about, about that environment that people were loving? My, so my partner that I referenced that made the phone call, he's like sincere and genuine in his ability to curate an experience mm-hmm. that will do three sets over the course of the day. And in that hour and a half to two and a half hour set, depending on which one of the three it is, it's a roller coaster. And mm-hmm. you're going to experience dizzying highs and just elation to, oh my God, you're ripping my guts out right now. Wow. So we don't beat the same drum. A lot of the videos we see are my life fell apart. I was living in a garbage can. <laughs> I picked myself That's up right. by the bootstraps. A you typical can movie. too. Yeah, typical right? movie. It's, yeah. It, we'll have one or two of those, which is kind of sad because we'll have 100 applications of that but we'll put one or two of those in the day Mm. but the majority of the stuff that we're really looking for is like the science stuff Mm. and tech stuff and we've had people from nasa on stage and people from the karma automotive just released their new coupe (laughs) and if you are sitting by your laptop google karma automotive coupe this thing is gorgeous. Wow. Next generation EV that is so slick it hurts. Really? Yeah, it's really nice. And then he was just, Marcus was just here speaking last week, or I guess September, the end of mm-hmm. September. We've had people from Pixar and just uh, all kinds of right. different places. The lady that created Baby Einstein books wow. spoke on stage and she wore like pajama pants. It was so <laughs> cool, man. And so the only rule that we have for TEDx Detroit is you have to have ties to Michigan. Mm. You have to live there, be from there, have gone to school there, at least work there at one point. Otherwise, and obviously you have to have an idea where spread. So not all TEDx's are created equally. There's tiny little TEDx's that are like taking place in college dorm rooms where people are just viewing videos of TEDx, Mm. but they'll apply for the license. There are those that hang, happen at high schools, same thing, in like the auditorium or in a classroom. And then there are some events like the one in Buenos Aires, Argentina in 2014 had 10,500 people at it. Why do I know that? Because it was a personal goal to beat them and then COVID <laughs> hit. How many, how many TEDx's are there still currently in the world, do you know how many there are? There's generally between 2,500 and 5,000 per year. Wow. So they're happening all day, every wow. day, somewhere. That's amazing. Right. A lot of cool human be- human beings out there. When you, you, you said something, if you change what you're looking for, you change what you see, something like that. Yeah. Um, where did you learn to see things differently? Like the examples you were giving of not looking at the negative weed-filled house and the one there where someone actually did something to it. That's sometimes people's negativity spreads faster uh, than positivity does. And people understand the cliche of, I want to have an abundant mindset or what I focus on is what I, is what happens to me. Where did you learn that? Or what is it about that has shaped a way of who you are? Because I think it's part of why it makes you a great connector because you see things probably different than other people do. You see opportunity different, not just for yourself. You see opportunity for other people. And there's a willingness to be a willing participant in that process. But where did you get this way of viewing the world of, I want to view the world of what's right with the world, not focus on uh, being compassionate about what's wrong with the world, but having more of your attention to what's going right or holding those people up. Where does that come from? So I'm going to tell you three different answers to this. They're all the same, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you three different answers. The change what you look at, change what you see. Literally driving to a Tigers game, I made a turn too early and ended up down a block, Hmm. six blocks away from the stadium. And it was crack house, burnt house, no house, overgrown lawn, nice garden. Hmm. Go down several more feet. That pattern started repeating. Wow. So in the middle of this dilapidated neighborhood, there's two houses that somebody actually cared about. Hmm. And I was like, all right, this stuff exists in real time. All we have to do is look for it. Wow. 
And then two years later, someone handed me a Wayne Dyer CD. Yeah. And Wayne Dyer said something to the effect of, when we change what we look at, we change what we see. I'm like, oh, oh my God, that there dude is brilliant, right? <laughs> yeah. But that was really nice. The other two things, I mentioned the books earlier, Way of the Peaceful Warrior right. and Illusions. That changed how I saw things. And I don't know that I fully realized it or appreciated it until much later in life. But my father was the single greatest sounding board of all time. Hmm. You could go to him with a situation, didn't matter what it was, and he would ask you about this angle and that angle and this angle over here and three more that you didn't even think about considering. Hmm. And so that repetition, that practice got me in the habit because I knew I was going to have to answer to the man, right? Yes. It got me in the habit of trying to stand here and there and over there and see things different. And obviously that's that's helped you in being a successful coach for other people. Yeah. In, connect, in connecting and uh, wanting to be a good connector. Some people that are in sales or entrepreneurs, they know they probably ought to be a good connector, number one, for their own business. I mean, you take it to multiple other steps of helping everyone in everyone's business, at least that you feel compelled to do that for. What is it that you think, why are people not good connectors when they know they should be good connectors? Well, there's a few different reasons. One, I think most of us are so worried about how we're just going to get through the dang day that we don't make time for other people, mm. right? So is that selfish? Maybe a little bit. I don't know what the primary driver is it. Or you mentioned an abundance mindset, and a lot of people are stuck in a fixed mindset. And so if I give you something, that's going to be less for me. I, dude, there's so much, right? If you and I were to have a conversation about what your dream house looked like, what your dream car looked like, what your dream partner looked like, what your dream whatever looked like, dream vacation, right. and you and I compare notes, and then Andre and we compare notes, and then we go out to the office and ask everybody else, turns out none of us really want the same right. thing, right. right? So there's plenty of what you want if you stay focused on. I think the other thing is we don't, really know how, mm. right? We don't know how. You and I were chatting before we got mic'd up and you have exceptional listening skills. We were talking about some of the people that you've interviewed before and being handed a list of questions right. and promising that you weren't going to ask all the questions, That's right. right? That's right. That you were going to follow the conversation. Right. Most of us don't know how to do that well. And to be a really good connector, you have to have a a pretty good memory, or at least a system yeah. that you trust. And so that eliminates half the people right there. They're just <laughs> done. Right. And then you have to have really good listening skills and ability to question skills. And I'm not saying that people don't have those. I'm just saying that they could be improved. You're skilled with asking questions. And before we came on here, there was a question that you're graciously teaching to, to other people. What What is a a go-to question that you have that I guess opens the door to being a great connector. So one of my, one of my favorite questions, and I will properly cite Bob Berg in this moment, because I'm pretty sure that I first read it from him is how would I recognize if someone I am speaking to would be a good referral for you? Wow. So I'm going to say it again mm -hmm. and I'm going to say it slower. How would I know if someone I am speaking to would be a good referral for you. Mm. And what that does is a couple of things. One, it shows that you really give a rip about the person right. you're talking to. 100%. Number two, it enacts some really cool universal laws that make things happen. Law of generosity, law of reciprocity. And if you do a really good job of listening to the answer, there's this thing that I've noticed in networking that if you're compelled to actually show up at a networking event, because there's all kinds of reasons to blow those off. Right. But if you're compelled to actually show up, there's usually a reason. And the reason is the person you want to meet is probably there too. Right. And so if you ask that question, do a good job listening to the answers and actually pay attention to other people you meet, you're likely, highly likely to meet the person that's the answer to that question for somebody, at which point you get to switch heads, get in the connector mode, 
carry that person over to them and make that introduction. Yeah, it's an amazing feeling in doing that. It's like being in tune with that, being in motion with that. It's like a, a honeybee going to a flower and it's not going there to get nectar. It's going, it's going there to get nectar, but it gets pollen on its little feet and then it like cross populates the world as it flies off of the flower. But its intention wasn't to cross pollinate. It was just doing what it was doing. But when you're, when Terry's in motion doing that and you have this high intention of doing that and being mindful of it and the law of generosity and the law of reciprocity goes into effect. What's one of the most interesting things that's happened as a result of that? Maybe you weren't expecting that, man, you did something for somebody and something that you weren't expecting happened. What are some cool things that have happened in your life? It's the speaking career I have started as a result of this, right? And it was a little too on the nose perhaps, but a couple of the friends that I had supported in networking efforts early on were involved in this group called Automation Alley in Detroit, which is a cool kind of business enablement zone, for lack of a better term, they were looking for a speaker to come in and talk on networking. <laughs> and these two guys were on their board and they're like, there's one guy and there's only one guy that you need to talk to. <laughs> and so that was wild. But there's something even more powerful about observing the networking piece when I ran these meetings, I used to tell people all the time, well, forget 60-second commercials. Nobody's got time for that. We're not meeting an elevator, so I don't care about your <laughs> elevator pitch. What I want you to do is your ask. And your ask, very simply stated, is your name, business name, business category. That's four seconds, right? right? And then who's the one person or one company or what's the one big idea that if someone in this room could introduce you to would absolutely make your month. And so what happens is when someone is doing their ask and they're actually specific and concise about it, but the specific part is key, you can literally see the energy and the vibration of the people change hmm. if they have the answer. Wow. I can tell you that you know that person. Wow. And they can't even deny it like a dog and tail right. starts wagging, man. And that energy is palpable, and it's so cool to watch happen. Back to answering your original question, I get invited to all kinds of cool stuff, yeah. right? Next thing I know, I'm like at some cool charity dinner or going to the hockey game or occasionally somebody's like mailbox money just shows right. up. Yeah, yeah. Nice bottle or whatever. It's all good. That's cool. Is it easy for people in your experience to be able to be specific about who actually they're looking for? Or is that part of you coaching them to be like, hey, let me help you out to, to narrow it down? Or do they know? No. And it's no because it's counterintuitive. Yeah. Right? If I'm in a room with 30 people, I think I want to throw as big of a net as I possibly can to catch all the fish. Right. Do you fish? No. I don't fish. <laughs> I don't like fishing. I don't. If, <laughs> I go out there and I'm like, I think I'd rather be on a beach. Yeah, it seems mean to the yeah. fish to me. I don't love it. But I don't eat fish either, so I don't like the taste of eating fish. So it's <laughs> that's not even something I want to eat. So, yeah, you're like, oh, the big reward is something I don't want. That's right. Perfect. Yeah. What I know about people who fish, though, is they're not throwing a big net out. They're throwing a very specific lure right. for the very specific type of fish they want. Yeah. Why? Because some fish taste like crap. It's the same thing when we're doing our networking. If you're throwing a big giant net out and trying to catch all the referrals, some of those referrals are garbage. It's a waste of your time to follow up and deal with them. It's a waste of the prospect's time who didn't want to hear from you. And it makes the referrer look bad. So if you're going out there and saying, I want to meet anybody or anyone that does X, Y, and Z, you're doing all three of you a disservice. Mm. When you, but it's counterintuitive. When you get specific, you're like, I want to meet the vice president of sales for Orkin. Mm -hmm. I, I just learned today that okay. Orkin's in Atlanta. If I had that conversation, okay, I most people probably don't know who that is, but the one person who does is going <laughs> to wiggle right. like a, like they right. can't help it, and so that becomes a thing. And uh, yeah, I mean it's amazing. It's like it, when and then when other people know it's. It is contagious because everyone else knows. Yeah. Yeah, everyone else knows. And what's cool about it is when you say, I want to meet the vice president of sales at Orkin, let me give you, I'll give you a very specific example. 
Somebody came into a meeting. There were only 12 people. It was a tiny meeting. Nobody in there. He said, I want to meet the director of alumni for the University of Michigan. Hmm. In those 12 people, two people said, I can help you. I can introduce you. One person said, I don't know the director of alumni there, but I know the director of alumni at Wayne State. Do you want to meet them? Mm. Yeah, of course. And somebody else said, I know the director of alumni at Michigan State. Wow. Four out of 12. people, four of them gave him a referral. That's crazy. And he was one of the 12, you know? I mean, it's because people are usually smart enough to extrapolate. But we're not going to go and introduce you to anybody because you might as well have said everybody. I don't care how much I like you. I'm not introducing you to everybody I know. 100%. So yes. specific. Yeah. So it, it would be easy if they understood the value and the benefit, but we don't think like that. We think more is better. Yes. No. Instead of being a walking generality, as a mentor of mine would say, be a meaningful specific there's too many walking generalities in the world. Like the more that you become a meaningful specific, the easier life gets because yeah. you know what what you don't want and you know exactly what it is that, that you do want. And so it becomes easier uh, with less friction to, to be able to get there. Yeah. What, 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 what's going on in your current, in the, in your current business that has you most excited right now? What are you, what are you working on? What is, what has got you most, most excited at this current moment in time? If they, they, right this second, I just finished a certification for an organization called Behavioral Elements. Hmm. So fun story, a couple of years ago, I actually created this necklace. Andre and I are having this conversation wow. about it. I, let me rephrase. I conceived this necklace, gave it to somebody who actually knows how to do things and had them create it. Hmm. But it's water and fire. Hmm. In the, if you look at my logo, it's water and fire. And for me, it's a reminder that for fire, if I'm gonna be on stage, I gotta bring the heat, I gotta bring the energy, right. I gotta bring the passion, I gotta show up. And if I'm not on stage, I gotta be cool, I gotta be mm. fluid, I gotta be flexible, I gotta move through things. Wow. And so I started thinking about what if there was a way to look at like a disc assessment or a Myers-Briggs assessment and equate those things to water, earth, fire, and air. Wow. I said, I'm pretty sure that's doable. Right. So I started writing, writing, thinking, writing. And one day I presented like my very minimal findings on it. And a couple of weeks later, I was talking to a buddy of mine that's a speaker. And I said, here's what I'm working on. What do you think of this? He's oh, you must follow Jay. And I said, who's Jay? And he said, Jay's the guy that created behavioral elements. And I said, back up, what's behavioral <laughs> right. elements? And he said, it's this thing that you just described. He's got an assessment. He's got a coaching wow. program. He's got a certification track. He's got trainings and keynote presentations. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't even have to think about it. Right, it's, it's already, already there. done. It's already there. Yeah. I'll go meet Jay. Thank you. I'm I'm good. I don't right. I don't mind carrying somebody else's flag. That's yeah. fine by me. I just got that certification. As you and I discussed, I'm down here to do some training right. with a client. And during the training yesterday, we gave him homework. Take this little assessment. Hmm. It'll take you 10 minutes. Get it done, and we'll talk about it in the morning. As we were talking about in the morning, they're like, "Hey, do you think like their management team should take this?" <laughs> yeah yes please uh, shocker <laughs> yeah, let me think about that for a second <laughs> did i did i put that on the t and that's you, right you swung whack well. it yeah absolutely. that's right so i'm super stoked about that in the work we're doing and if everything goes well with this i'm gonna take a, a, a deeper dive and maybe go get some continuing education that'll add a few letters to my name I've got a very large client up in Michigan that we've got this teed up for as well. That's awesome. That's uh, and, and what, what what do what do the the four elements represent yeah. uh, in someone? What 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 is it? Uh, yeah, let me that aspires uh, to them. And obviously, you're probably a combination of four, but there's a probably a pattern that you follow. Yeah. So yes. you you've got a dominant element, yes, right? And then a secondary, a third, and a fourth. We all have all four, yes. right? And they all interplay with each mm. other. And so air is the drive to learn, right? So you're a highly air person, right? right? You want to learn, you want to share, you want to give back, you want to educate. Earth is the drive to defend. Earth people are the folks that usually get stuff done that you can rely on, hammer it out. They're systems and process oriented. 
air people are big thinkers, innovators, ideators, very curious, very creative. Fire people have the drive to acquire, mm. right? So those people are highly competitive, want to win, sometimes at all costs, right. but they're the folks that are going to go out and make things happen. They're the best people you can have if there's like a quick decision that needs right. to be made. If you have like a catastrophe going on, you need somebody with fire right. to lead well, the charge. Right. Water's drive is to bond. Mm. They're the people. They're the ones that are the community folks that might be a little sensitive, but they're easygoing. They love people. They're all like, yeah, kumbaya. Yes. So I, I, my, mine is highest air. Second is water, very closely tied to fire, and there's very little earth. <laughs> there's very little earth. A little bit. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. I mean, I'd, like to be out, I'd like to be out at sea. Yeah. yeah. And, that's, and the guy that created this whole thing will remind me, he's like, you finished two books. You got some earth in you. You don't finish books right. without that. That's right. I didn't tell him that I hired an earth person to finish the second book. <laughs> hey, man, it's knowing how to build a team and knowing how to do what you're good at and right. find someone else that's not that's better at something than you are. Play to your strengths. Yes, man, get, get the artifact out there. That's the uh, name of the game. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Very cool. Before, I'm going to have you take one of these stickers and... I've been wondering what was but, in this box the whole time yeah, I've been sitting been here. it's been a y'all. little pirate box we have here soon. <laughs> but, uh you can write anything you want on it. You can put your name. You can put a saying that you have. And Ooh. then you can find any spot on the table that uh, this has, is, has, this is permanent. has I have to think about has this your eye on it. Yeah. yeah. It's gonna be permanent. It'll be here and I love it. It will be here. So I yeah, you it. think you think about that and yeah. All right, I, I already got it. Whether anybody can read it or not, totally different. You get a little bit of both. You get the signature and a little saying. A little saying. Be connected. Be connected. Be connected. Where's the, Where's your spot for you here? Where is the spot? You where's know what? Spot? Because be I'm a path of least resistance guy, I'm going to go to the spot that's closest to me, but I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to face it this oh, way. Oh, man. Check you out. Different huh? than the average bear, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Made it so I can read it. That's the person right. sitting over here can read it as opposed to just the people people on the side of it, man. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome it. that you did that, man. That's it. Where can people uh, find more about you, I'm get a, your book, yeah. hire you, have you come speak? Where, where where do they go? I am cleverly hidden at trybean.com. Trybean.com. T-R-Y-B-E-A-N.com. 1997, I go to get my first Hotmail email address, <laughs> and they already had a Terry Bean. At 1997. Hotmail. Yeah. Dang, man, that's crazy. And so I couldn't get that, and they were like, oh, how about Terry Bean 6842? And I'm mm. like, how about no? Right. I'm like, hey, if I drop the E and the R in my name, that's a thing. Try Bean. Yeah. And now it's just good advice. That's great advice. Try Bean. You're going li to like how, how it is. Yeah, man. You're going to like how Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for you. tuning in. Always pay attention and always ride the wave of life and always play big. Until next time, we'll see you.